Hello and welcome to another episode of the CG Garage. This is episode number 452 featuring Joaquim Dos Santos, uh, who is director of Spider-Man Across the Spider-Verse. Amazing to have this guy on. Super, super nice guy. I met him at the VIEW conference and we were able to do a, re a recording of the podcast while we were there in Turin, Italy. Great conference, great speakers, and we have several more podcasts coming out from that event. Uh, he's an amazing guy, uh, originally from Portugal, moved uh, to Los Angeles when he was four, comes from uh, some humble beginnings, but it was really not necessarily a great student, as he said himself, but he was really into art and drawing and comic books and really got into that. Uh, and eventually that led him to storyboarding, uh, and which is going to be an important theme. I think you guys need to remember that. Uh, but he did some incredible stuff. He's worked on some incredible films, during, especially during sort of the golden age of uh, episodic animation. He worked on the episodic version of uh, Avatar The Last Enbedder. He worked on The Legend of Korra and Voltron Legendary Defender. Uh, really great stuff and eventually led him to do uh, Spider-Man Across the Spider-Verse. Really great stuff that he did. Now, you may want to actually go back and listen to the Peter Ramsey episode that I did uh, back in 2019. It was episode number 249. Uh, and he was the director of Spider-Man Into the Spider-Verse. And he also came from a storyboarding background. So you'll notice that storyboarding is actually kind of an important thing. And we've done several people who actually started with storyboarding in their background, including including Ryan, Ren uh, Ryan Woodward, not Ryan Reynolds, uh, but Ryan Woodward, uh, really nice guy uh, also. So storyboarding is a great way for you to get into directing and to understanding directing, especially if you have a, a passion for animation. And I think it's an important career choice that these guys have made that have led to great things. And so something to consider if you're sort of beginning your career as well. Okay, uh, I do have, uh, I don't have many announcements because we are kind of winding down right now. And it is in the United States, it is Thanksgiving week, so there's not much going on. But I do want us actually have a couple of announcements I'd like to ask you uh, to listen to about the podcast specifically. So we just passed over, we we're just over 450 episodes, and we just recently passed nine years on the podcast, which is super exciting. But more specifically, what this means is that next year it's going to be 10 years and 500 episodes, and I'd like to do something kind of special. I have several ideas, but I would love to hear from you guys if you guys have any ideas. Are there guests that you'd like to have on? Or are there some really great guests that we've had in the past that maybe we should bring back? Uh, or is there an event that we should do this at? Should we do something live? Uh, let you know what, Any ideas or, or would be great for you guys to just throw them out there. Uh, and if you do have any ideas, uh, please let us know. Uh, you know, go to labs at chaos.com. Uh, Again, that is labs at chaos.com for our email. And just go ahead and let us know. Uh, you know, who you'd like to have on. And we've had many, many amazing guests in the past. If you're new to this podcast, an incredible, incredible lineup. Several, several Oscar winners have been on uh, and great directors, including people like Joachim, uh, but are really great uh, guests. So definitely look at our uh, look at our, uh, our roster of people who've been on in the past and we'd love to invite some new people on or invite some of the old people and see what, what has gone on in their career since then. So just give us some ideas. Again, that is labs at chaos.com. Now, if you guys want to know more about the podcast in general, just go to uh, chaos.com slash CG Garage. And of course, if you want to watch these podcasts, just go to youtube.com slash chaos group TV. That's where we put all our videos, including the podcast. Uh, all right. But for now, please enjoy episode number 452 with Joaquin Dos Santos. Welcome to another CG Garage where the chaos group talks. 
you'll know it's over when the last bucket drops. We're gonna fire off rays in high dynamic range. We know that ambient occlusion is passe. Global illumination won't lead you astray. And while image-based lighting is really swell, you need to make sure everything has for now. Thanks for doing this. I appreciate you being on, and, and uh, it was amazing to see your work and the things you've done. Uh, one of the things I always like to start off with the podcast is, what is your origin story? Like, where did it all start? Wow. Okay, so it's sort of a, a, a three-pronged attack here. Um, I was born in, in Lisbon, Portugal, moved to the States when I was four. Um, you know, when I was a, a kid, my, my family, like the family crests, every family has sort of a crest in Portugal. And our family crest was a spider. So my middle name's Aranha, which means spider in Portuguese. And literally the first memory that I have is being in my room in Portugal and there being a Spider-Man poster on the wall. And so it was sort of like just in my eyeballs since I remember. Wow. Yeah. Um, and then moved to the States when I was four, spent all my summers back in Portugal. And it was, you know, it was a bit of a latchkey kid. Um, so I'd come home, watch animation, watch uh, TV shows, make myself food, uh, read college books. It's, you know, pretty standard stuff. Right. Uh, VHS was just becoming affordable, so we got a VCR. I would rent, I mean, movies nightly. From We had a little local uh, video store called For You Video. For You, okay, yeah. Video for You Video. And it was just one of those local... It was just a love and pop yeah. little place. I rented Buckaroo Bonsai so many times that I was like, dude, just keep it. Like, you're going to pay more than this thing is worth. Wow. Yeah. <laughs> Um, and so, yeah, I mean, I, you know, I just grew up with, with, with those passions and it was sort of unavoidable, unavoidable. I was, I was in LA, so I had access to like, so you moved to LA from Portugal? Yes, my mom, the way it worked was my mom was from North Hollywood. Oh. She moved to Portugal and lived there for 13 years and had a whole life there. Okay. Had me with, with my dad. They moved back to the States when I was four, split up. So then I was with my mom mm -hmm. most of the year. And then back, uh, back in Portugal for uh, the summers. Right. But she, you know, she was like, Hey, there's an animation down the street. Like you should go take classes there. And I was like a teenager at the time. I was like, I'm not going to go take classes. I'm going to figure it out. And that's the world's worst. Were you, uh, I mean, but were you passionate about animation? Every day. All right. I mean, well, it was, it was, it was, it was sort of animation, comic books, movies. And it was that yep. Venn diagram of things. Sure. So I'd go to San Diego Comic Con every year and wait in all the portfolio lines to make it work. Never paid out for me. Right. Um, but then, you know, I, I had really no plan after high school other than drawing. And then uh, uh, we were working at a coffee shop. My buddy said, hey, I saw that there's like a little animation school and he liked to draw too. So he, it was all the artists from that worked at all the studios locally. Mm -hmm. And at night they basically formed a, a non-accredited little animation school. So we started taking classes there. And as soon as I found storyboarding, oh, like this, this is like the perfect combination of all the things. Right. This filmmaking, sort of panel to panel work. It's sort of, you know, it, a lot of it was, you know, Batman the Animated Series was really popular at the time. Right. So, um, what was the school's name? It was called Associates in Art. 
It was in Sherman Oaks. It's in Sherman Oaks. Okay, not yeah. far from North Hollywood. No, right down the street. Right. Um, and yeah, uh, as soon as I started taking those classes, I knew, like, I became absolutely obsessed. Right. Uh, and then I did, I had a local comic book store that I'd go to every, every Wednesday. And I was really good friends with the, uh, the, uh, the owner, it's DJ's Universal Comics. It's the best, it's still there. I still love shopping there. Sure. And uh, I did a sketch in a sketchbook there. And a day later, the owner, Cat, he called me up. He, said, he called me up at the coffee bean. That's where I was working. Oh, wait. Which coffee bean was it? Uh, do you know the, the Fashion Square? Sherman Oaks Fashion Square? Yes. Yeah. So yeah. Upstairs in the Fashion Square. Okay. Um, and he called me up and he said, hey, man, some guy from Sony just like did a sketch in the sketchbook and saw your sketch. And was asking about you. Wow. Can I give you your number? I said, yeah. And uh, his name was Mike Chang. He was a director uh-huh. uh, on uh, Starship Troopers at the time. They were doing a TV series. Right. And this is the Roughnecks, right? Roughnecks. <laughs> You're like the only person that <laughs> that show. Yeah. Um, and uh, <clears throat> that was it. He basically said, hey, do you want to be a storyboard revisionist? Mm-hmm. Do you have anything that looks like a storyboard? And I said, I actually have a little portfolio that I've been working on. Right. This. <clears throat> and I got the gig. I was making, I think at the time, I was making $6.50 an hour to the shift supervisor at the coffee bean and tea leaf. And he said, we'll start you at seven fifty. And I was like, you get a whole dollar more to like, no. And I got my first chink and it was for 750 bucks for the week. I was like, I think you guys made a mistake here. Right. They were like, what are you talking about? I was like, I think it's, I think it was like seven fifty an hour. Right. And they were like, dude, it's seven fifty a week. And that was more money than I had made ever. Right. And I was, I couldn't believe it. There was Toys in the studio, art on the wall, people of like mind, and I was making more money than I'd ever made in my life. Wow. I was like the greatest, greatest dinner. <laughs> and that was it. Once I got in, you know, uh, I just was determined to never, ever, ever allow anybody to give me a reason or give themselves a reason uh, to not want me to be there. Yeah, that's, that's amazing. So, so you were, that's, you go from Coffee Bean to Sony as a yeah. big, Big jump. It was a big jump. Big jump. It was a big jump, but it was, you know, animation, again, it's like, it's like us. It's like, right. you kind of feel similar interests, you know? Yeah. So it, it, it was all the stuff that I was doing with my friends anyways. Right. Like it was, I was just now doing it in a professional space, a quote unquote professional right. space. And we were all watching the same movies, you know, we would all go pick up laser discs and we all go pick up uh, DVDs when they first came out. And I was just able to, geek out with a different circle of humans right right what was your so so uh, what was your biggest inspiration at that point like from from then on like what really got you uh i mean growing up the the show that probably made the biggest impact besides buckaroo bonsai which is pretty awesome (laughs) that was was up there um uh was robotech robotech i that show to me was like i could watch it with my friends and my friend had an older sister. She loved it for a completely different reason. Sure. She was watching the sort of soap opera of it. Right. And we were too. We just didn't realize it at the time. Right. We were sort of like really engaged with the characters, but we were also, it was sort of like being delivered in this like robot alien show. Right. Um, and the fact that there were stakes when people died, they stayed dead. Right. It was, it was heavily serialized. I mean, it was like the first real serialized thing that I had seen. Sure. And so for me, that sort of set a pace on me. I wanted to make things in that vein. Right. So all the, you know, whatever, whatever I look back and I think about, oh, I was really drawn to the X books. It's like, oh, because it was a soap opera. Right. That's cool. 
like now I get it. Like the spell totally worked on me in that kind of way. Right. And you couldn't wait for the next thing. Couldn't wait for the next Right. One, yeah. Right. Okay. Well, awesome. So, okay. So, so did you stick with storyboarding for a while? I did. Yeah. So I was a uh, storyboardist when I first got in, became, you know, storyboard artists. Um, and then, you know, in animation, that's probably the most like surefire path to being a director. Because you, as a story artist, you're dealing with scripts, you're dealing with visuals, you're dealing with the design, you're taking all those elements and putting them together. And then you're thinking cinematically, you know, you're, you're putting all that stuff, you're lensing all that stuff and, and, and putting a perspective on it. When I was taking my storyboard class, the teacher, his name was Fergal Riley, and he was working on, at the time he was working on the Iron Giant. And he showed us a rough cut of the Iron Giant. And again, that, that was the first time I was so used to like Western animation. I was waiting for this sort of like musical number and it just never showed up. Oh. And I was like, oh my God, like this is just a movie. This is like, <laughs> this, this is not like a musical. This is not like a, this isn't for kids. This isn't Disney. This isn't Disney. Right. But it had, you know, some of that DNA sprinkled in there. It was this beautiful amalgamation of all the things that I grew up with and loved. Um, but he, he told us, you know, on the first glance, he said, hey, the cool thing about storyboarding is that secretly, you're the director of the thing. Right. You're the first at bat. Right. Like, really take a stab at what this thing is going to be shot like. Sure, sure, sure. Um, and that really excited me. Yeah. So, yeah, I mean, it was a sort of natural progression. It was directing. And so you worked on story Alan Iron Giant? I did not. No, no, no. Oh. I, was, I was just watching his rough cut. Oh, he was okay. working on it and okay. teaching the class at night. Gotcha. Um, so... We had the benefit. I was watching. I, I when the first time I saw Iron Giant, it was like probably still forty percent storyboards, rough animation. There was no credits by the by the end. It didn't even have the part where the Iron Giant comes back together. He just goes up, right? Blows up. Gotcha. Sacrifices himself, and I think the real ended when Hogarth was like crying, and it was sort of a sad thing. I was bawling. And I was like, all right, I'm at least going to have like the credits and the wrap up to like clean myself up. And he just turns the lights on, swoops around and looks at me like, and I'm, I'm, you know, it was a really moving story, but I was also just like shunked to my core that it existed. Yeah. I, I couldn't believe it. Yeah. So that's amazing. Yeah. That's amazing. So, so what was the next big project for you? So I went from Sony, I worked on, uh, Jeez, I worked on Roughnecks. I, wor I worked on Max Steel. Do you ever hear of Max Steel? Yeah. Yeah. I worked on, um, they did a series. I did, I only helped out a little bit. Uh, it was a, a PC game called Heavy Gear, and they made a, a little show about that. And then I worked on an episode or two of uh, Men in Black the series, which was great. Yeah. That yeah. was the first time uh, there was a director there named Mike Gogan who gave me the opportunity to storyboards. Up to that point, I was just doing revisions. And he said, mm -hmm. hey, you look like you might be able to do it, so let me give you a shot on this. It worked. Okay, great. Um, and then I had those samples, um, you know, with me, and my friend said, hey, I think they're going to start, like, I think the Batman the Animated Series guys are going to start a Justice League show. Okay. I'm hearing rumblings, and I, I didn't know, I didn't know, like, I still was sort of naive, but I didn't really know how to, like, approach another studio. Mm -hmm. So, um, I just went to the front desk and I said, hey, I've heard you are looking for storyboard artists for Justice League. And Thelma, the lady that like worked at the front desk, she was like, okay, honey, I'll take that. Thank you. Right. Um, <laughs> and it got into the hands of James Tucker, who was uh, working with Bruce Tim at the time. And they right. just, 
come off of like probably Batman the animated series. And I got a test. Okay. And so I did the test. I spent like two weeks straight, just no sleep, no outside world, just doing the test to the best of my ability. Right. And I got a call when I turned it in and James, he was, you know, I interviewed with James. He hired me. I got put on uh, Dan Reba's team. Dan Reba was my director. And, uh, yeah, we did the, you know, I started with the first, first season of Justice League. And that was like, I mean, when I got to the Bruce, it was, you know, for me, it was like maybe Walt Disney or something. Yeah. It was incredible. Yeah. Um, so around what year was this? Early 2000. Early 2000. Yeah, yeah. Gotcha. Yeah. Um, and then, yeah, you know, the, the format of that show was, they were longer episodes. Right. And they were all, it was always a part one or a part two. So it had that serialization. In right. It. And that was really exciting. That seemed like a seemed like a big departure, but it also again sort of playing into the thing that I loved about Robotech and about yeah, yeah. You know, it was a big serialized. That's well, a great series too. I, I really liked it. Yeah, I mean, it was, and that was where I learned probably a bit more, you know, noir and sort of film story mm-hmm. like that 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 sort of stuff. Um, and I think, you know. It was. It wasn't easy. It was. You know. I think Bruce had a way more discerning eye, and, and James was always really supportive, and Dan was always really supportive. But Bruce was always like, "You can be better. You can do better." How did it affect your style? Like, what was your did your style change for that a little bit? You know what actually happened? I got a hold of they. They had. I mean, they probably shouldn't do this, but they made the archives available to everybody. Okay, so you could just go and say like episode. 27 of Batman the Animated Series. Can I see all the storyboards for that? Wow. Get you all the storyboards and you can go on Xerox and those things. Wow. So I did that. I fell in love with all the episodes that were animated by TMS. Mm-hmm. And so I just went. And I basically like that. I sort of adopted that style. I really liked the Japanese shorthand. And so gotcha. I was a huge anime fan. So it was sort of like the perfect hybrid of things. It was... Batman the Animated Series, real Western sort of sensibilities. Sure. But then the shorthand and a lot of the storyboarding techniques and stuff were actually very Japanese. And it was like, for me, that was a perfect blend. That, that right. was sort of the style that I adopted. Awesome. Awesome. Oh, cool. So how long were you working on Batman? I worked on Batman. Uh, well, I worked on, it was Justice League, and then I went to Teen Titans. Okay. Um, and that was great because, again, it was sort of like, oh, man, they're really tamping into this, like, funner expression. Of, yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, and then I went on to Justice League Unlimited where they sort of changed the format a little bit. They really blew it wide open. It wasn't just the, you know, the big Justice League characters. It was everybody. Sure. Um, and then after that, uh, I went and uh, that's where I started to work at Nickelodeon. Uh, my wife, I came, my girlfriend at the time, I came home and she said, hey, this cartoon was all about this kid with like an arrow on his head and some martial arts stuff. I mean, no you really like that? And then it kind of looks like Japanese anime. It looks really good. So I watched one of the episodes and I was blown away. And I was also really sort of like offended that I didn't know anybody in the credits list. I, mean, I know everybody in this space. I know all the action guys. Sure. Like, who are these people? Yeah. And they were, you know, like in Brian, they, you know, had come from Invader Zen and King of the Hill. And it was just a completely different sort of skill set that they were coming from. And, um, I knew they were looking. I think Dave Filoni had maybe just left. This was sort of like early season two. 
um, and heard they were looking. And my buddy Mike Chang, the guy that got me into animation, yep. had gone over there. He was storyboarding over there. So I said, hey, what the hell's going on? He said, how are they looking? I called up. Said, hey, I'd love to uh, love to work for you guys. Sure. And they said, well, you take a test. And I was like, well, I'm directing over here. Do I really need to take a test? And my head and start it. Well, wait a little bit. Uh, and they were like, yeah, you kind of have to take a test. And I was like, but what if I don't take a test? Then you don't get the job. Right. Give me the test. I'll take the test. Right. Again, you know, my wife was working in production. She had a gig going on in Vegas. I, I stayed in the hotel for the weekend, did the test, turned it in, and met with them. Um, they hired me, and again, it was sort of like, it was another aha moment where, you know, I think with the Warner Brothers crew and the sort of Batman, the animated series crew, they were definitely sort of the generation above me. They were all the sort of adults that I looked up to and that sure. I was really inspired by. But these were all people that were my exact same age, and we were all looking at the same stuff. Right. We were all really influenced by the same stuff, so we just immediately bonded. And this is last year, Ben. Right. So, what season were did you start? I came in a couple seasons into season two. Oh wow! Yeah, yeah. Um, and then I so I was storyboarding for uh, an awesome director named Ethan Spalding at the time. Mm-hmm. And then uh, third season, they said, "Hey, do you want to do you want to direct?" Yes, I do. Yeah, wow, perfect. Yeah. Then I directed through that and became really, really close with both Mike and Brian. They're they're a good close personal friend to this day. Right. And. Um, I went back to Warner Brothers for a stint. I was developing up the, the Thundercats series that they eventually wound up doing. Mm-hmm. Literally the same day that Thundercats got greenlit, Mike and Brian called and said, hey, do you want to uh, do this new show we're doing? Legend of Korra. Mm-hmm. I, I mean, it was like the Sophie's Choice of all Sophie's Choice. <laughs> um, but I decided to go with Korra. And for me, I think it was it was the right decision. It was definitely a, a very hard decision to make because I Thundercats is a huge point of inspiration for me and I I had been sort of like carrying that flag of Warner Brothers for many many years and like right. I should read you Thundercats um, and then yeah uh, you know we did Legend of Korra and again it was sort of like just being with old friends and hanging out and doing stuff serialized stuff you know I realized that's with 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 sort of this moral gray area that was the other thing that that is sort of understated about Robotech is that you empathize with essentially the bad guys right you sort of see their their point of view on things yeah you guys turn and sort of become sympathetic to the human's plight you know i think that's something we lack a little bit today (laughs) we want to make things black and white we don't like the gray areas yeah Uh, a little scary but that's interesting to to sort of think about that so you really I mean, that story is almost the most important part of what you're thinking about when you're looking at these things, right? I think so. I think it's, you know, I, I, I've i never, I mean, I'm sure I've fallen in love with, with certain sort of mustachio twirling bad guys for their, for their charm, but that's never really been the thing that got me. Right. I'm always really interested. You know, even if, if we're looking at Cora, like, I really sympathize with, she, she had an a, a adversary named Zaheer, like, Mm-hmm. Story was really heavy and sympathetic, and yeah. I was sort of like, "I'm an is a here guy." I don't know. I don't know where I stand on this, right? But I like, I like that moral gray area. Yeah, for sure, for sure. What was, uh, what, what were some of the things that were, you know, how had you found your inspirations shifting at that point? I think, you know, for me, it was, it was the the older you get, the more experience you get, right? You start trusting your own instincts more and more. 
Is it because of experience or is that because of maturity? All of the above. Ooh, okay. Yeah, right. yeah. I mean, I, early on, you know, you sort of look to the things that really inspire you and you sort of do a version of that. Right. Um, and that's really good and fulfilling and it feels like oh, I'm checking off all the geek boxes here. Yeah. Doing the thing. Um, but then you start, especially when you're given sort of, uh, when you're trusted with, with sort of a vision and, and Mike and Brian were very giving like that. So they just sort of allowed us to do our thing. You know, I became really close. Lauren Montgomery was my producing partner for years. Mm -hmm. Um, she started as a, a story artist on justice League and we sort of followed our careers and it was sort of like studio hopped with each other. And then we went to, to airbender and then she was at warner brothers when i was at warner brothers she was doing wonder woman and i was doing these these dc shorts mm -hmm. or maybe she's doing uh i've been doing green lantern what it was right um and i think you sort of start surrounding yourself with people who are of like mind and and uh you know sort of partnered up with Kihim Ryu, who was an animator on Airbender, then moved to the States and became a director and story artist. And, you know, you just sort of get your little personal community, you know? Sure. And, and it's, for me, that's where I found inspiration. It was in other artists and it was in their perspectives and like, oh, look how they look at things. Right. So, yeah, I don't know that it's any, I'll definitely be inspired by films and stuff. Sure. But it's more about my, personal human interactions yeah right 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 so so where where did you go i mean at this point you've been doing a lot of animation yeah. doing a lot of episodic yes <laughs> and two traditional animation as yeah. well so so what where did you go from there how did this so evolve? lauren and i rolled off of legend of Korra, and then we both uh were producers on voltron Sure. property over at the uh, DreamWorks. We got picked up for like 78 episodes right off the bat. So that was like four years of our life. Like, wow. Just chunked away. Um, somewhere in there, like it was early days on. That was part of DreamWorks TV? It was. Okay. That, that big push that they did right at the beginning with Netflix and stuff. That was an amazing, huge jump that oh, they did. I mean, they went Boba Fee first and the kitchen sink. And oh, that was amazing. Because they, I remember when they started, and 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 Maya has actually been on the on the on the show before. Yeah, yeah, so, yeah. Uh, and he's been a great partner of uh, of some of the work we do over at Chaos as well. But it was amazing at that. I remember overhearing people that they would hire like thirty six people a week. Just <laughs> it was wild. Yeah, you know, when I got hired, you, you know, you go into those those first like HR meetings. Yeah, it's like, okay, and it's a huge crowd of people. It is like a sports team. You're like, okay, well, we're here with an entire football team for it. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, and that was every week. It was like, you'd see like, they had three elevators that would go up and down the building. It was like all three elevators just unload into HR. Right. Amazing. It was very cool. It was, it was neat. The, there was a lot of inventive animations that were coming out of that thing. So, yeah. And I think it was, yeah, people were just sort of like being trusted with stuff. Mark Taylor, who was running that division of, of, yeah. of, of DreamWorks at the time, he was, over at Nickelodeon when Airbender was happening, yep. when Cora was happening. Sure. He was really a huge supporter. So That's awesome. He was like, look, it's gonna get ugly at times. It's gonna get weird. Right. We'll figure it out. And he had a very, very level head. Yeah. Um, and always supported us. 
Yeah, I remember because you know my my kids were young at the time, so we watched a lot of animation yeah, with yeah. them. But I remember even since like shows that I did not expect to be as fun and exciting. Like Turbo was like yeah. so cool. Totally. And it, totally like, <laughs> and it was very North Hollywood too, which is also fun. <laughs> yeah, that's funny. <laughs> um, but yeah, so you know we were we were on that. Voltron was like you enjoyed your time on Voltron, right? Oh, right. Yeah, that was you know, uh, Lauren and I and Benjamin Kaltenecker, who was right. also on uh, on uh, uh, Core with us, and he was uh, my my production manager on Justice League. We were like, right you know, when we had to do like the entire Green Lantern Core, me and him were like middle of the night, like that's Tone Bar, that's Palaco, that's you know, right. we had to like name everybody. It was still very analog on paper, so we would come up through you know the advent of digital and stuff and and uh we're working together you know to this day right um but early days uh i had done one freelance job um for tron uh oh tron uprising okay um, i'm a huge tron i mean i was any like geek thing from there. i worked on tron legacy so did you really yeah i did the first episode uh uh, Star Wars uh, first episode. Oh, oh, of the of the of the TV show. Yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. So how was how was Legacy? Uh, Legacy was amazing. It was a lot of fun. I've worked. I mean, I'd seen Joe Kaczynski sort of yeah. come, but he and I were both ex architects. Holy crap! So we had you know I'd seen what he had done in, in that area, and it was just it was yeah. really cool to see him. And then there, there's your spider. <laughs> I don't know if they'll see that in the video, but uh, but. Uh, to see him sort of evolve and then sort of take that vision and just make it just very, very beautiful. Um, I mean, I was, one, couldn't believe that it was happening, that right. it was happening. And two, you know, I had told Eric Coleman had gone from uh, Nickelodeon over to Disney TV. Yeah. And he called me one day and said like, hey, what are you doing? And I said, well, I'm working on some things. And he said, is there anything that like would get you going? And I said, I mean, if this was before I knew that Phil was even coming out, right? Disney ever does anything trauma related, just give me a call. Sure, I'll drop everything I'm doing. And then I saw it, and he was like, oh, "That's really interesting." And he knew already at that point that the film, right? I'm sure it was happening. And then, and this was also was, Mike Chang, right? Wasn't it? Uh, Mike Chang. Yeah. Was no, no, no. This was uh, Charlie Dean ran. Uh, okay. And uh, then you know he said, "Hey, so movie." They were going to do a series, and I was like, "Oh my god, this is amazing!" I was in the middle of stuff, and I was like, "But we're tra- talking to Charlie Bean," and I had I hadn't met Charlie Bean up to that point, but I had heard his name. Sure, had a made reputation. Um, but I said, "Look, I'm in the middle of hell right now." Yep. But just like, let me bore one of the episodes. I just let me just do one, like a light side sequence or yep. some sort of like maybe a disc sequence. And so I got I got a nice little opening disc sequence. Oh, nice. Like, yeah. Yeah, I worked on the light bike sequence. That was Dude. my main <laughs> I was which was beautiful. I did a lot of car commercials as well, so it was like it was like a nine minute beautiful it car commercial. Like car <laughs> yeah. Best shot car commercial. Yeah, exactly. It was awesome. It was incredible. Awesome. Yeah. So cool. Yeah. Okay, well so so yeah. you got to work on you got to work on Tron uh Tron Uprising a little Tron bit. Tron Uprising a little bit. I love the style of it too. It was such a great adaptation that would need to be done and it just it's a great show. Great show. I mean, and all the people that worked on it, you know, Charlie went on to direct Ninjago and Lady the Tramp. He's doing all sorts of cool stuff now. Alberto Nielgo. Yeah, I know Alberto, yeah. Absolute killer. Robert Valley. I mean, we can't right. 
Yeah. Say enough about Robert Valley, like incredible. Um, so yeah, what a, what a creative force that show was. But I, so I met Mike Moon uh, mm-hmm. and then, and at some point Mike Moon made the transition from Disney over to Sony. Right. Both him and Charlie vouched for me and he called me one day and said, Hey, just take a meeting with uh, Phil and Chris. Oh, I'll pick up the Spider-Man thing. Okay. Said, I'm in the I just started this Voltron show. I can't do it. He said, just meet with them. Okay. You're not going to take the gig, I'm sure, but like meet with them and just have a chat because I think you guys will get on really well. Okay. So we met at a coffee shop. I was a total goober. I just geeked out on them and said, Look, Blake, I'm always amazing. You guys are the best. And you're so funny. It was a good meeting, though. Uh, sure. And I think I left at least enough of an impression. And they had already hired Bob over the film. And it was. Right. But that was the first I heard it was going to be a Miles Morales story. I had assumed we were sort of all, I don't want to say spider fatigue, but, you know, We'd seen a lot of Spider-Man up to that point. Yes. And I had worked on a Spider-Man show and I was like, okay, I've got my head wrapped around what Spider-Man is. And I just assumed probably, you know, I put the ass right in that one was they were just going to follow more of that path. And when he said Miles Morales, I was like, hey, that's interesting. Yeah. It seems cool. Um, So we're working on Voltron. The trailer for the thing drops. And I mean, I think just like everybody else might have tried the style was so different. Yeah. And that influenced the story and it influenced everything. It was yeah, very... Oh, even in the trailer, you know, it felt like, oh man, this has a different, this not do a different thing. Mm-hmm. Um, so cut to the end of Voltron. I get this random call on my phone from a number that I do not recognize. And... Um, it's Christine Dawson from Sony. I, I never, I mean, just assuming it's a telemarketer or somebody. Sure. I don't know. I pick up the phone. But she calls you directly. She calls me directly. She's like, hey, it's Christine Dawson from Sony Animation. I was like, hello. Was that, would you like to direct Spider-Man 2 or Spider-Verse 2? Right. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> and I went in for like a meeting with Phil and Chris. And we got on really well. And that was it. I think that was kind of... Wow. So we, I rolled off of Voltron right into Spider-Verse. And you hadn't done a feature at this point. No. Okay. Yeah. So, um, you know, I came in at the tail end of them still posting on, they were still doing lighting and stuff on the first one. Oh, wow. And so it hadn't even barely gotten greenlit if at all, right? Or they were pretty much. They knew they were going to do a second. Right. Yeah, they knew. So, I mean, it was, it was greenlit, but like there was still no story place. Sure. It was like, hey, just come in and let's start like developing some ideas and see what could be. And they screamed the the first one for me. We're in like a little sweat box. We're mm-hmm. watching it, and then film ends. My eyes are melting and my brain is spinning and yep. my heart's racing. And they turn around. They go like, okay, so like, I went to ends now. Should we just like take the governor off? Really go crazy? And I was my I. That collider sequence at the end, I was like, I don't, guys, I don't know, I don't know, right. I don't know what to do. I don't know, yep. how do you get any crazier than this? Um, and, you know, the idea, the sort of core idea that was sort of pitched at that early phase was, you know, if, if the first film is about these other spiders sort of invading Miles' place, what happens when Miles and Glenn sort of go out? Go out. And that was just really exciting. Right. right. Yeah, that was really exciting. So... I mean, that was, that was kind of it. That was, you know, the next five years of my life. So how did you start, how did you start that writing process? They, you know, we're working with that. They brought, they brought Dave Callahan on. Yeah. Um, 
we got on really well yep. with kindred spirits. Um, and you know, initially it wasn't, uh, it wasn't the spot. It was, you know, it was a bunch of different things. Sure. Um, but it quickly evolved into the spot being, you know, building and having ties to alchemics and, and, uh, you know, then it was really like, but what's, what's the sort of core theme of this and how do we evolve miles and tell you a story and tell a very relatable story, you know, even if you were to like, take the, all the spider motif off, right. The sort of story that we're all understanding from, from different perspectives, whether you're the kid in the equation, whether you're the parent in the equation is that, that sort of pull away moment when a kid's sort of stepping into adulthood, right. Stepping out of the nests. We've all been there. We all sure. have to make that that decision in our life and feel those feelings. And now I'm, you know, I'm just I got an eight year old at home. Um, Justin, my, you know, co director at Kemp, they both have kids that are already out of the house, right? And they were while making spider bursts, were in the midst of going through it, right. experiencing it from the parents' perspective. So to me, that was like we have all that supernatural, all that really cool spider verse, fun popcorny stuff, right? And bubbling underneath that, and you've got, you know, these themes that are universally relatable. Right. And that, to me, that, that stew was really, really exciting. And I think where, again, the film will take twists and turns and you'll find stuff through the process. But if you're holding onto those, those sort of tentpole areas. Yeah. That's, that's what we have. It's so interesting, you know, you know, as becoming a parent, yeah. uh, when you, you never picked up on it before you were a parent, but you see, you look at old films and then suddenly like that parent thing comes up and you're like, oh, yeah, it's, it's heavy. It from the other side. <laughs> and it's so heavy. I know. It's so, uh, it's That's, so great. You know, my, my, my wife, when she, I would, you know, a lot of the film was made during COVID. So writing shots and, and watching cuts. And she comes in and saw the scene between Miles and his mom. Of the uh, in Rio, right? And she's just like, which was the teaser? It was a teaser, <laughs> yeah. And she was like, I, "This is insane." She was like weeping, yeah, storyboards, you know, yeah. So yeah. yeah, I think that's that's the power. That's I think that, I think that's the real, that's the heart of that. Film. That wasn't your first uh, CG thing, was it? I mean, I came in uh, technically Starship Troopers was a film. right. That's that true. Was a, yeah, it's a crazy CG show that only. I mean, it was so funny. There were like so many limitations at the time. You, you couldn't watch a character like actually like physically pick up a gun. You could cut to the gun. Right. Then you could cut to the hands starting to come in. Like, but before there was actual contact, then you need to cut wide and they got the gun in their hand and they're bringing it up because right. there's two different models. Too complicated to do yeah, that. Yeah. Too much interaction. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, so what, 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 I mean, what's it like directing that? How's it different from the, uh, you know? I mean, yeah. It is, it's a huge difference. Right. There's a, a massive difference. There's a lot of, there's a lot of skills that cross over really well. Yep. Um, and there's a lot of, um, there's a lot of fun to be had when you're dealing with these sort of pulpy comic book things that right. cross over really well. Um, but one of the things that like really struck me was in TV, I had sort of built up this cadence of okay, you know, when we storyboard, we really lens and storyboard and we're really thinking about right. what our shot progressions are and what, you know, you sort of have to nail it your first or second time out because the show needs to ship and you need to be on to the next episode and you, you're spinning three episodes at the same time. Right. 
with feature boarding, it was more about capturing gag or a moment or an, an emotional sort of resonance and not worrying as much about camera because there's layout for that and there's all these and but for me unlearning a little bit of that was tough because i was when i you know when i read the script in my mind i'm lensing it already like it's sure 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 so i would i would sort of you know work i, I hired a bunch of story artists that i absolutely love and i think come from tv a lot and so their first instincts were to sort of do that as well and then you know phil and chris would look at the boards and and sort of go like these are great uh we're gonna go this other direction right. we're gonna change it and i was like well, we'll get, wait a minute now there's plenty of good work here right and so it took me a minute to sort of be willing to just let go of ideas oftentimes they end up coming back into the full sure but it's way more exploratory and it's way more sort of it's a, it's a, it's a sort of speedier process, not because you need to get it out the door faster, but because you're trying to generate as many ideas as fast as possible. Right. What about camera movement as well though, right? Yeah. But again, like I, I think with all that stuff in mind, so I was like, you know, we're going to do this massive pan over here and it's going to do a thing. We're going to do a thing. And mm -hmm. everybody was telling me like layout will handle that. Like just what are the beats? What are the, what are the, what are the word? Edit. For me, I mean, look, it's it's still not completely my cadence. I still, it's just the way I direct. Sure. With camera in mind, and I, I'll go to my grave, I'm sure, boarding the way I, that I board and, and working with people the way that I work. But it was really interesting to sort of unlearn that thing that at that point into like 18 years of my life. Right. Doing it that way. Um, and the other thing is, you know, with TV, we show it to executives and we show it to the crew obviously sees it and they weigh in on it, but there's no general, sometimes with certain shows, they'll do like a kid's screening. Sure. But it's very sort of like all those tests were usually sort of in concert with like a consumer products wing of it. Like mm -hmm. are these things that you would like to see on toy shelves? Those sort of like, right. those are the questions that were being asked. Do you think, the character is really aspirational. Like, do you want do you want to be this character? And right. it was always geared towards sort of the consumer, yeah, product side of things. How did that influence you? <laughs> I mean, I grew up with toys, so it was never a big deal for me. Okay, the thing that I didn't like growing up was I didn't like, let's say, Batman the Animated Series. I loved Batman. I loved Rob. When I saw on the toy shelves that there was like an ice climber Batman and a heat wave Batman, those ones didn't interest me. I was like, it, it's not right. It's not. It's not the story that I'm interested in. It's not in the show. So that always felt a little sort of shocked and gimmicky to me. Mm -hmm. I get that they need to move products, right? Do, um, but the the test screenings and feature animation, it's it's purely story, right? You know, it's not really where the consumer. They have a division that does that, right? Um, but the test, the audience meetings are just, are you engaged with this story or these characters that you love that, you, that resonate with you a little bit? And Phil and Chris, more than anybody that I've ever met, really, really pay attention to what the audience is saying. Right. Because they're building something that is specific, but also in equal parts, very broad emotionally. Mm. You know, whether you're you know, in Australia or you're in Alaska or you're in India or you're in South Korea, wherever you're at, that story between 
a family resonates, you know, and I, I think that those, those emotional tides resonate around the world. So they, they have the ability to get really specific and really, you can tell it's sort of Phil and Chris joy, you know, when you're watching mm-hmm. these films, they can sort of like do the thing like they did in the first one there. There's, they're literally waving around like, here is the MacGuffin, here is the MacGuffin, here is the MacGuffin. Right. And winking at the camera going, but they make you care about that. Sure. At the same time. Right. Um, so, you know, I think uh, that to me was like a huge learning curve. It's just, I was very used to the romantic notion of like, well, this is, it should be about the, uh, the director's vision. And yes, and we also need this thing to play to families and we need grandma to understand as much as we need the grandkids to understand. Yeah. Um, so that it's, it's, I, I, I will forever hold on to that and take that with me to anything I Sure. Look, I mean, I'm happy to direct on something that is purely for me and like, it's my own homage to they live or, you know, what would it be? What would it be the thing? Oh, my, my pie in the sky, like the, the, the thing that like, you know, aside from Tron, aside from Robotex, Robotex up there. (laughs) Um, but I fell in love. There was an era in the nineties where me and my friends would go to the liquor store every day at Street Fighter. Right. Street Fighter for me was a real bonding experience, a really sort of special thing. Um, Interesting. That, that would be one that I think I could, I could really. (laughs) <laughs> Doing cool stuff. Yeah. I think there's oddly enough, it's called Street Fighter. There'll be plenty of fighting, and there'll be plenty of fighting in the streets. Sure. I think there's actually a real emotional story to be told there. Okay. Yeah. yeah, that's awesome. So, so I mean, having borrowed from the first one, I mean, you saw that first one, and you had to sort of really embrace that that style that you know was developed over that time. How was how was that? How was that for you? It was so. It was weird. You know, the film came out. The green. Um, started getting all this like critical recognition, yep. and then it sort of made its way up award season. Mm-hmm. Winds up winning for an Oscar, right? And I sort of went into like, holy crap, what did I get myself into here? Right? Because again, first time directing features, I'm working with. Had you spoken to Peter Ramsey at all? I had, yeah. No, I I had spoken to to both him and Bob. I came in, you know, we had this we've sort of discussed this in, in panels and stuff that we put right. together, but like I had a meeting with them at the, uh, the recommendation of Kristen Belson. She was like, just talk to those guys because they've been through the experience of making one of these things. Right. And, you know, they, they can sort of win on a lot of set. And uh, I came in like a fresh-faced goober and I was just like, hey, how's it going? I'm really excited to be here. And like, hey, man, chill out. <laughs> just know that this is a long haul. It's going to be extremely iterative. You're going to want to throw yourself out the window at times. Sure. And go to the highest highs, lows, lows. And I was like, okay, it's going to be great. I, I just didn't, I couldn't quite see the forest in the trees just yet. You know, right. I was like, I was so excited and nervous and, um, yeah, I think just more excited in the process of making a film really is, I mean, it, it's a, it's a roller coaster. Sure. So, <clears throat> they sort of were giving me a little bit of the like, hey, chill out just a little bit. Don't throw yourself at it like from the beginning because you're going to set yourself up for like extreme disappointments when things aren't working. Right. 
just know that it's, it's, a, it's a real marathon. Sure. So, I mean, I learned over the course of making the thing that really is a marathon. Right. Uh, and you're doing with, with COVID, too. Doing it through COVID. That was another, that was a wrinkle in time. For yeah. Sure. Um, luckily, I will say that for the bits and pieces of the film, because we were still pretty, you know, we were still storyboarding a ton of stuff. It was a lot of like, we were still very much building what the film was in animatic form. Mm-hmm. Um, but for the stuff that it had already sort of got over the fence and the tests that we were doing with Imageworks, their working relationship with Imageworks, because a large part of the studios in Vancouver, mm-hmm. the leads are here. They sort of worked in remote. Protocol. Yeah. Like they had that relationship. Already. They already so had it. Yep. That, that wasn't really an issue. At all. Right. And I found, at least for me and the crew that we had in, in um, the pre-production sort of things, artists can kind of tuck away and be alone for long periods of time and, and just draw. Once it, it sort of broke a threshold, I think people who didn't have families or had moved from out of state and they felt sort of feel really isolated, mm-hmm. that's when it started getting tricky. That's mm-hmm. when, like, for me, it was great. I just got to spend more time with my kid. Yeah. I was with my wife. We were having dinner every night. She works in production as well. Yeah. So, like, we were sort of in that production life where we were home all the time. You know, right. Now it was a complete opposite. So that was, it was a good, it was good for me personally. I, yeah, I can see that. I, same, same for me. Yeah. <laughs> I actually, you know, I used to work, I live in Burbank and I drive to Culver City and that was a two and a half hours of my life that I got back, right. you know? That's, that's the way I kept looking at <laughs> yeah, it. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Well, it's kind of cool. I mean, I've, obviously, I mean, I've just mentioned many, many times, but I mean, just the, the idea of, you know, the Spider-Verse, uh, uh, embracing comic books in such a great great way i think it sort of really revolutionized what comic book movies could be right as opposed to what you know some of them have become a little bit stale in some cases and this was so fresh so fresh yeah. and so wonderful well and with your passion of storyboarding and comic books yeah. how did how did that sort of resonate with you I mean, it's, there was definitely kid candy store aspects to it um you know i think we're in like a weird golden age for animation where I think, sure. you know, they did such an amazing job with the first film and it's sort of like, it's amazing. It's not amazing that it won an Academy Award because it definitely deserved it. Sure. But it's an amazing, this, it's amazing that a Spider-Man film that a comic film had done that. Right. Uh, because, you know, they, they tend not to be recognized until more recent years. Right. Um, so I think, you know, I, I always say this and I, I don't, I, it's not me blowing smoke. I, I think there was sort of like, in, in feature animation, there was, I mean, there was the marker in the sand that was Toy Story. Mm-hmm. And that absolutely revolutionized everything and changed the game and made people, I think, a little less scared of computer generated, you know, animation. Right. Um, and then I think Spider-Verse, did it as well. I think there was a before and after time with Spider-Verse because I think right. what they did was they sort of, they bent CG animation to their will. Right. And they made it, it didn't, shadows didn't have to fall off and obey every light source and show sure. things. It was, it was a real artistic expression. Right. Um, it dealt to a lot of exploration with a lot of different films. It did. Yeah. 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 
like Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles and all that stuff was exploring that medium in a new way. And Mitchell's, you know, right. I, I yes. it, just, it gave permission. And I think, yes, I think the fact that it was like frigidly recognized, virtually recognized and you know, those to say it isn't a business, it's the movie business. Like sure. if these things don't make money. Then the trend probably will. Now you don't want to like spawn a bunch of copycats, but sure. what you do want to do is have these things inspire other creatives to use their vision and, and see, you know, see their vision through the screen. So I think that's what it did. Yeah. That's, that's the real exciting thing. Yeah. And that's really, really cool. Um, so you're on to the next one too, or you're already almost. <laughs> yeah. We're, we you know, we were sort of, uh, it's definitely happening. And I think much like, you know, when I ended up meeting with Bob and Peter on the first one, it was more about like, just finish what's in front of you. Right. And then worry about what's coming next. Um, so right now we're like, we're definitely on the sort of like, we finished it. Right. Thank goodness that the sort of grand experiment was a success. Yep. Um, so yeah, that's, that's where we're at. What are your thoughts about, about where it's all going from this point now? Like the industry? Yeah. Or, yeah. I mean, the industry, I think the sky's the limit. And I think, you know, one of the things beyond, uh, beyond spiders, um, beyond just, you know, spider films and, and, and turtles and these IP things. Um, I think for animation in general, it, it's, it plays to such a, a broad audience. Now I've been sort of like waiting for the day, you know, when me and my friends were watching different Japanese anime, we were like, it's enough, it's enough kids, it's right? Enough kids. So, um, I'm excited that, that the media is being expressed in so many different ways and playing to so many different people and so many different types of stories are being able to be told right through animation. So I'm, I'm looking forward to that evolution and seeing where that continues to grow. Things like, for me, like things, series like Arcane, that blew my mind. I couldn't, it's so great that it got me. <laughs> oh man. I mean, really, you know, I think for, for series work, that's, that's the other thing that I said, like everybody in the industry goes like, well, they all the money in the world that it was like, well, look, that might be the case. Sure. But it happens. That right. box is opened and you can't close it back up. Right. So, but it also doesn't mean that you need to throw all the exactly. money out. <laughs> I think, well, that's the other thing is that like, there were so many things that were done beautifully in that film that weren't very expensive things. They were just beautifully executed things. Right. Um, so, you know, I, I look, I'm really looking forward to those trends continuing. Arcane was playing, not to kids, that's for sure. Nope. Um, and it had a bonus of an Akira vibe. It did. It. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. It, the first time I saw Akira, the first time I saw, I was watching an episode of Siskel and Ebert, and they covered Akira. Oh, really? What what was their take on it? I'm curious. They were blown away. Oh, yeah. Totally positive reviews. Yeah. Um, I think it was, more, you know, they were definitely speaking more to like the animation and, and the tone of it. Um, but as a kid, when I watched that episode, it was the first time I had seen footage of Akira. I hadn't read the tape yet. Sure, I sure. I didn't know it. And I just, 
I couldn't believe it. I, it was again, it was another sort of jaw dropping moment. Yeah. I was like, wait a minute, this exists. And I just immediately went over. Right. right. Yeah. Um, so yeah, it had that feeling. You know, when I was watching it, I was like, oh man, I'm getting that feeling. They tried to remake Akira and uh, it, thank God it didn't get made because I, I knew one of the guys who was going to direct it and they tried to Hollywoodize it so much. That can work. What are your thoughts on story in general? Like, how has story evolved or not changed? That, or how do you wish it could be? Like, I think that's we're at a point now where we're starting to see very interesting things happening. So they're challenging the normality of what stories used to be. You know, things like everything, everywhere, all at once is a perfect example of something that's like this is something completely different. Even Spider Verse, when you know, it's it's. A complete, it's, that's not your standard Spider-Man film anymore. It's not your standard Spider-Man film, but I also think that it breaks a lot of rules in terms of like, you open film, what's your, right. you know, uh, what's your three-act structure? It's like, it's not a traditional three-act structure. No, right? So, yeah. Um, yeah. I mean, Save I the cat may not be relevant. Not be relevant. <laughs> I think, but I do, what I, well, what I will say, again, sort of going back to sort of like the Lord Millerism of it all, is that emotionally it resonates, right? So right. the structure of it might feel like it's sort of non-traditional in, in all the right ways. Right. Like if you were to like academically break it down, it's like, well, they didn't follow these rules. Sure. Um, but emotionally you're taking on uh, this roller coaster. And I, I do think that there is a bit of that that's kind of permeating out with films like everything everywhere at once I think all the influences that the filmmakers of this generation had growing up mm-hmm. we all we were all looking at a limited short palette we didn't have there are obviously the great directors that we all should be studying and looking at and really understanding why those films worked but we had access to weird stuff we had access yep. to Spike and Light. We had access yep. to MTV. We had access to all these things that injured our brains and affected us. We had the weird subversion of the Muppet Show that sort of like landed for us as kids as one thing, and then you watch it as a dog. You're like, hang, hang on, all other things happening, right? Um, you know, I, I think we're we're a product of the things that we took in, right? Um, and I think we just had we had a way more global view of what cinema could be. We had access to, to foreign films at, a, at an earlier age. Yep. Um, and I think that's only expanding now. I mean, if the information is so available and accessible now, there's, there's no time between a film being released that I see 15 artists online doing their homages to those things within like a day of the thing. Sure. Day. What do you fear? What do you fear? Um, I mean, I'm, I'm a little concerned that my kid isn't super into films. Like, he isn't into narrative as much. Yeah, not my kids aren't. Yeah. My, one kid is. Yeah. One kid, but he's just an old man in the little, in the little body. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> my, my, my daughter, who's the older one, she's, she's just not as interested in, 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 in that kind of thing. I don't know what that means. Yeah. I, I'm not seeing it as a bad thing. I'm just, there's, it's funny. He, so he likes the new Gretchen movie. I watched that. Okay. Um, 
He loves old Peanuts episodes, which I'm totally fine. Sure. Great. We we can watch those together. Um, And then beyond that, he loves watching. He's super into like tennis and soccer and he loves watching like kids highlights of tennis and soccer or, or sure. And like he absolutely loves Minecraft. So right. He likes that's other people play Minecraft. Sure. And that to me is, I get it. Oh, one thing I have turned well, on. Well, we, we watch other people play basketball, though. We do. <laughs> I think you got to have a point there. That's true. Um, one thing I've turned him on to is uh, we play old Nintendo games, uh-huh. right, which he, he finds like cool because of challenging. Sure. But then there's a uh, there's a, a dude online that does he covers like the history of speedrunning video games. So it's all about taking fractions of seconds. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. And he finds that endlessly fast. It's like Super Mario Brother kind yeah, of stuff. Like people beating it in like five minutes. Right, right. They shoot it off a millisecond here by doing this jump through a brick here and mm-hmm. doing this thing. That's really interesting. And that I can geek out on it. Sure, yeah. sure, sure, sure. Well, that's very interesting. I think there's going to be some interesting ideas that are happening, and maybe those turns into stories that could be very cool as well. I, like when, I remember when Vine was a thing and people were creating content for Vine. Yeah, six second videos. And they were compelling some of them. I was like, yeah. damn, they're, they're, they've figured out a way to make these this format really work. And yeah. Entertaining. yeah, yeah, I think it's going to be, it's going to be cool for sure. Yeah. Well, listen, thank you so much. Where can people follow your stuff? Um, I'm on Instagram Premiere, right? Because that's more sort of art-based and I can just drop pictures and look at really cool stuff. Okay. Um, I don't really like to keep up with my Twitter or X or right. whatever it is now. Um, I think that's about it. Okay, cool. Yeah. Cool. Well, thanks so much for being on. I appreciate it. We will put all this stuff in the, in the show notes and uh, it's been awesome having you on and congratulations. Thank you so much. I appreciate it.